These folks are coming to you because they don't know something and you know something. They're not experienced with something you're experienced there and they want to benefit from it. And hopefully we all can mutually benefit from it. Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Hey guys, 2024 is right around the corner, so now is the time to upgrade your software stack. There's never been a better time to check out Greenlight Guru's quality and clinical solutions that are purpose-built for the medtech industry. Greenlight Guru solutions have been proven to deliver a 50% reduction in time spent on design and development documentation, a 50% reduction in time spent preparing for audits, and much more. Greenlight Guru has been named the number one medical quality management system by G2. So sign up for a demo demo today at greenlight.guru forward slash demo greenlight.guru slash demo. And for a limited time, we will give you a free quality manual, greenlight.guru forward slash demo. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Global Medical Device Podcast. My name is Etienne Nichols. Today we're going to be doing a little bit different episode than maybe we've done in the past, or I don't even know if we've done one quite like this in the past. To, to, just to, to uh, the expert I brought on is Devin Campbell from Product, and we'll get into your background in just a moment. But just to kind of introduce this idea. I've had some different people, different startups and both startups and advisors come to me and say, hey, um, I would like an advisor for my startup or from the other side, I am an, I, I am a regulatory specialist and I've been asked to come on as, a, as an advisor to this startup, but I don't exactly know how to navigate that. I've never done that before. And, uh, you know, I've I'd love to think that I could have all the answers, but I, I like to outsource my brain sometimes. And Devin is uh, Devin is the expert in my mind for this. So Devin, anyway, thanks for coming on to the podcast today. Happy to be here again. So what I thought we'd do and what we kind of talked about before is to look at this from the perspective of the advisor. If, if we were to give advice to the advisor... But those of you who are startups, maybe you're starting a company, maybe you're in the midst of raising funds for your company, maybe you need an advisor. I don't want to lose you. Um, we do want to talk towards the end of the episode a little bit about things that maybe you don't want to look for in an advisor or, or things you want to some red flags to look for. So we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Um, and I, I'll let you kind of talk a little bit about how we can utilize this conversation both directions if you want to, Devin. Um, sure. I mean, I think it's it's an interesting problem. We're going to talk really specifically like kind of advisor giving mentoring or coaching advice to other emerging advisors. Um, and I get referrals all the time where people say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this or I know someone who might is thinking about dipping their toes in this water. Would you mind talking to them about what you do? And they see all the fun that I do in, in my life and they want to do something similar. Um, so we're going to focus the conversation on that. But if you take this entire discussion and turn it inside out. Um, a savvy startup listening to the conversation, there's a lot that they should be able to pull from it to understand what does someone like me look for when I'm looking in a company and how would I advise other companies about, you know, other advisors about working with small st startups. Um, I think there's a, there's a really good Rubik's Cube type rearrangement <laughs> of the situation there that uh, people should be able to extract some value from. Yeah. 
And I know, so your company does that a little bit. I don't know if you wanted to touch on what your company does just here at the onset, just so people have an idea. Sure. Um, so my company is product. Um, I started it after the second of three exits that I've been lucky enough to have been a part of. Um, and kind of stumbled into it. Uh, I have this, you call me kind of like a reluctant consultant. Um, <laughs> and I know it's my personal journey. It's not everyone's. Um, but my personal journey has had a lot of consultants in my history that have not been uh, really great people to work with um, and have really kind of left like a sour taste in my mouth about working with consultants, working with advisors. Um, so I wasn't even looking to go into this space at all. Um, I, after my second uh, exit, we a company we took public, um, I was like, okay, well, I got some time. I'm going to take a year off. Uh, I'm going to figure out what I want to do next, and but not hurry. I had some good mentors say, don't hurry. People are going to come out of the woodwork. Just say no to everything for a year and just enjoy life. And I acknowledge my privilege. I was in a fortunate financial position to be able to do so. Um, so in that time frame, I would get in, introduced to emerging entrepreneurs, early stage medical device companies, all medical device Um and it's usually through folks on their board, C-suite folks that know me, or through accelerators. And they say, hey, I'm, I'm putting a little money in this company, or I'm thinking about investing here. Um, you know, would you, would you take a little look at them, do a little bit of like lightweight, like angel level diligence? Um, which is a good plug for our earlier podcast we did just a few weeks ago about, yeah. about uh, medical device diligence. Um, and I'd get involved and... If the people I were working with were really good, honest, like hardworking, nice people to be around, and the technology that they were working on was going to be impactful, it was the kind of thing like, if we could pull this off, this could touch millions of lives in a big way. I'd be like, I'm all in. This is fun. So I would just start meeting them for coffees, for beers, for lunches, for dinners, talking with the executive team, talking with the development team, giving them like just infusing all of my experience into them for the purposes of doing good not for the purposes of making any money or there was nothing financial tied to any of it. But it wasn't until about a year of doing that um, till it was pointed out to me that I'm really happy. I'm smiling more than I ever have been. Like in the last 25 some years in the medical device industry, like I'm happier than I've been since I was like an original, like early con contributor, um, uh, product development engineer. Maybe this is what I should do. And I was like, no, this is consult. <laughs> that is consulting. I don't do that. Consultants are jerks. <laughs> and and it, I was kind of like nudged into thinking like, you know, they don't have to be. Like I can change that mold for myself, even if it's my own personal therapy. Um, you know, break that mold and really be kind and empathetic and make a big difference. So that's kind of what product does. Um, so we've been around for five years now, coming up next month. No, this month. This is our five-year oh, anniversary. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. And, and that's kind of like the spirit of what we do. We, we help emerging entrepreneurs, early-stage medical device companies. We come in with a lot of heavy advising, a lot of heavy mentoring, sometimes shoulders to cry on type situations because this work is hard, right? Sometimes we yeah. have to stop and like acknowledge that. Medical device development is really hard and it's scary and it can be nerve-wracking. So that's what we do. We get in there, we help 
think through what kind of infrastructure do you need? How do you set the stage to be able to be successful? It's kind of attracted a lot of other great talent onto the team, and we've continued to grow over the last five years. And we do a lot of advisory work. And then in cases where a team is just like a four-person team or a six-person team, and they don't have a lot of resources, we roll up our sleeves, we get, we get dirty, and we'll build the resources for them. They don't have a quality system, we'll help them architect one. And then in many cases, we work with you guys, and we go in and we build a world-class quality system just enough for what they need when they need it. Yeah. So that's what we do, a lot of advising. Very cool. I appreciate the backstory. It really, really helps to understand uh, the, where you've come from. And, you know, it, it kind of makes me think if we're going to try to focus a little bit on on speaking to an advisor, and I like how you use that Rubik's Cube or inverse tech, uh, terminology where, mm-hmm. hey, if you're a startup, you should be able to apply this as well to your mm-hmm. selection of an advisor. But mm-hmm. if I think about, okay, I'm talking to an advisor, maybe not everybody followed the path that you followed. Uh, what are some things that you could say, hey, here's some. Here, here's some ways you can know you're, you're worth your salt. You don't want to be that jerk consultant. You don't want to be um, X, Y, Z, but here's, here's some, uh, some different things that, that do show that they are worth what potentially what they're um, charging or, or whatever. Are, are you asking for like signs that someone might think to themselves, hmm, I wonder if I should do some advising? Signs. I'll, I'll give you a specific example. Okay, One person yeah, I know, um, they turned down a startup uh, because they said uh, they wanted me to advise the startup. I, I'm not. Um, I don't. I'm not to that point in my career. I'm, I, and so, how how would someone know? Maybe the signs. Uh, maybe that is what it is. Kind of like what you're saying with your signs. As far as after a year, you knew this is this is what you've got. Okay. So, if if in that situation, if a startup comes to someone and says, "Hey, we'd love to have you as an advisor." Um, I mean, if if you're filled with a sense of self-doubt, then, you know, you've got a little work to do. Sure. Um, and, and that's okay. It's important to do hard work. Um, <laughs> I, I would say, like, in, in, in a situation like that, it's really important to understand why are they looking at you? If they approached you, right, and they said, hey, would you be an advisor? Why are they looking at that? I, that would be hard-pressed if you were just a couple of years out of school, right? Yeah. I mean, generally, uh, I don't I don't see a lot of teams asking other people to join their advisory boards or just as a general advisor for the team for someone who's not like deeply experienced and has seen a lot of stuff, right? Because that's part of what you want the advisors for. But if you did have some particular subject matter expertise that you maybe have had a couple years of really digging in deep and you've done a really nice job with and you've had a great mentor and someone teach you how to do you know, things exquisitely well, but you don't have decades of doing it, that's okay. I would look at that team and say, well, they don't have that. And if, if they don't have that experience inside, that might be why they're asking for you, right? They should be looking for gaps to plug in their skill sets um, internally. And, and that might be a reason why they're, they're coming to you. Other reasons they come to you is just for the panache of having a particular name associated with their team. Um, and those I'm generally... I, I'm not interested in, and I would generally recommend other people like don't do that just because they want your name associated with something. Um, you know, maybe if if you're ego driven, then fine. Um, but for me, I find that 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 doesn't make for as healthy of a relationship as you need to have. And as an advisor and an advisee, you need a very strong, healthy, robust relationship that you can have critical conversations with each other. So you mentioned something there. 
typically they're looking to fill gaps. So I assume as an advisor, you would be looking for those gaps as well to make sure that you are uh, able to fill those those gaps. So what are what's some advice that you would have to those advisors uh, or potential advisors? Um, this is getting a little confusing speaking these languages. Um, what's some of the advice that you would have uh, in, in getting started in this work? Sure. So, um, so we're speaking now, and we're always speaking to the startups in the background, but we're speaking now to like the those emerging advisors who are either looking to moonlight a little bit in addition to their day job or like dip their toe into the advisory pool because they're interested in maybe diving in someday all in. Um, we've got a few folks that have done work with us at Product that they come to us as a safe place so they can dip their toe and try it a little bit and see if they really like it. If they really like it, I'm like, great, spin you out. You go do your own advisory thing. I don't care. Um, it, you know, try it here where it's a safe environment. And if you really like it, do it. Um, I would never say just jump right into it to anyone because it is a unique environment. Um, so if you're just getting started, good to talk to other people who do advisory work, talk to other consultants, but specifically like talk to advisory work because there's a little bit of a difference between kind of like advisors and consultants. I, and actually, I kind of picked up on that. I wondered if yeah. you could do a little bit of definition here. Sure. I mean, it's not a hard and fast rule. No. I'll, I'll give you like Devin's opinion. You can put whatever disclaimer what we you want. want on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the consultants generally, you go to like a consulting firm, you hire them for a very specific task. They come in, they do, they do a, an analysis, they give you a recommendation, you pay them, they disappear, right? They're done. They move on to the next one. And maybe that might be a one week exercise. Maybe it might be a six month exercise. But, you know, they in for a very specific task, they get paid, they're out. Whereas I see advisory work, which is what we try to model everything we do at product after, is we reject those situations. We don't want to come in and just do a thing and be gone. It's about building relationships, going back to that earlier word. So advisors, you're building a longer term relationship with them. And it's not just for one specific thing. It's more for, okay, over time, teach me, mold me, coach me how to do things. And you're, of course, you're maybe helping us like think through organizational shifts and how do we, you know, what's the right way for us to do certain things and then actually doing it and watching us and you're involved very lightweight. You're not there every single day. Like a consultant might come in, you put 60 hours into it, you're done, you're gone. Whereas an advisor, you're like, okay, this, this is a long relationship. This is gonna be like a couple of years. And it's, it's more constant, it's more ever-present, but very lightly. Does that kind of make yeah. sense, the difference? Yeah, I think that makes sense. So talk to other advisors, talk to other consultants, but I would say in this situation, definitely go find people. Look at startups, look at their websites. They're always going to show off or on their pitch deck, they're going to show off their team, and then they're going to show their advisors. Talk to some of them, see what it's like to work in that space. Um, I think doing that is a good way for you to get like a little bit of experience under your belt to see if you're going to want to, if, if this is the kind of thing you want to do. If you're moonlighting or if you're dipping your toe and you work part-time other places or doing whatever, um, I strongly advise people to check their employment contracts with where they currently are and um, at all costs, like avoid any semblance of conflicts of interest. So if someone's picking you because um, they use a particular technology that you are really good at, be, you're really good at that 
because of maybe some experience that you've had in a prior company, you should check your current employer's contracts and also your conflicts of interest contracts that you would have had with prior employers too, just to make sure you you look out for you and you stay safe. Um, and if you're still if you're working for someone and you're doing this, I say stay above board. You know, if your con if your employment contract says that there's no problem doing this, you should let them know and say, hey. I'm gonna do some lightweight advisory, advisory, advisory work. Um, you know, I'll I'll keep it light. If you want to, I'll show you how many hours I put into it. It won't be more than like an hour or two a month because usually it's not a lot. Um, and they generally don't have a problem with it, as long as you demonstrate to them it's completely non, um, no conflict at all, uh, no business conflicts. If there's any resistance from the from the company, let's say you're at a service provider. And, and a company wants you, let's say like you're like a regulatory firm, and a company wants you to do some very lightweight advisory work for them. And the regulatory firm that hires the person who wants to now gets pulled a little bit to some startup that can't pay the, the big firm, you can also spin it a little bit to say, but this is also a bit of a funnel builder, right? So, you know, if, yeah. if this team needs more than a couple hours or so of me a month, then, you know, I'll push that off to you guys and like, oh, okay, great. And then, you know, now they're financially motivated, which earlier discussion, not my modus operandi, sure. um, but there's ways to get it done. So check yeah. all those boxes first. Okay. So now we feel like we're safe to do it. And if we're working somewhere, we got blessings to be able to move forward. So now, you, now as an emerging advisor, you got to think about you, right? And so what I think is really important for folks to think about is to keep your bar really high. Don't just do advisory work for any team that asks you. Don't, don't fall for the flattery and don't let your ego get in your way and say, oh, I'm going to do this because these guys want me to do it. And then this other one does it. And then this other one does it. And now you're like the, you're an advisor for 300 little tiny companies, <laughs> whatever. Um, I say keep your bar really high and you want to do that because you don't want to dilute the value that you can bring to them and you also want to protect your reputation because you are a little bit associating yourself with them just like they're trying to associate themselves with you so they can put you on their pitch decks and say look at these uh these great advisors that we have supporting our team right question about you're, that you're bound to them yeah go ahead how, how do you set that bar or what are some of the characteristics you look at, maybe you personally at product and when you're evaluating those those companies? Mm -hmm. We got another plug for the earlier one we just did. Um, you got to do some diligence, right? You yeah. don't just jump in because they're nice. Um, I personally look at the niceness of the people, right? Because I don't, I don't want to, oh, yeah. if they're, if they're jerks or whatever, I don't, I just don't have time for it. But so I do look at like the people and the team that's there. Um, but I look at the technology. I'm, I mean, I'm, I work in medical devices. I'm pretty savvy in this space. I, I kind of know my stuff and I have the right people to talk to if I don't. I look at the technology. I try to understand a little bit the product market fit, try to understand a little bit of what the valuation of the total addressable market could be and like how much they could potentially capture. A lot of the stuff that they would normally put in it, that a startup would normally put in a pitch deck. So right. I would just kind of as I'm listening, it sounds like there's a natural entry point for an advisor. 
and, and maybe that maybe there's a question buried in there somewhere. At what point does an advisor make sense, or at what point does it make sense for you to become an advisor, where you actually have enough information to say? Okay, yeah, I can do enough due diligence that I recognize the potential of this company. Um, but it seems like it's a sliding scale. Or what are your what's your thoughts or advice? Um, I think <laughs> I mean it. It really varies, right? It's going to be yeah. a case by case situation on on the team. Um, if they're great people, but you take a look at it and you say, you know, what is the maturity of this technology? Right? Is it like this is straight out of postdoc? And it's not really done a lot, or has it been kind of maturing for a couple of years or a couple of months, or you know how mature is the product and the processes uh, that the teams are coming to you to get your advice on moving forward? Um, that's one thing to think about, right? If it's really, really early, if it's if it's wires hanging out of a cardboard box, um, which I have seen before, oh, I believe uh, it. During, <laughs> um, amazing technology, but it was. <laughs> still inside a cardboard box with wires hanging out of it. Um, and which did not look like the pictures in the pitch deck, which was a glossy rendering of what the instrument could look like in the future. I've made those myself with the renderings yeah. and the cardboard yeah. behind yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. No. no, but I, I dig. I go into the lab. I want to see the real thing. I want to see it work. And then when they showed it to me, it was wires coming out of a cardboard yeah, box. Yeah, it's hard, hard to show a dock. Yeah. Um, so, you know, take a look at the tech. Take a look at the product market fit. Try to understand a little bit of the valuation and see if if it's at a point where you can add value to it. If they're really, really early and your deep experience is downstream commercialization of medical devices, it's probably not the right time. If they're really, really early, it's probably the right time for someone like me, right? To come in with uh, as a product development expert, say, okay, let's let's take a really good look at what is it going to take to bring the product to market. And then maybe... I need to make a little space on the bench to bring in really savvy operations or sales-minded folks to be able to help you build and expand growth of the company. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it used up enough time to make it feel like I answered your question. Uh, yeah, I think I think all of the above. Um, no, it, it it does because the especially what you said about where, where it's kind of like a self-analysis. If I know what I'm good at. And maybe I'm not so good upstream, but I'm really great up, uh, downstream. Maybe that design transfer or whatever it may be. Uh, I, I would say if you're close to where you can start adding value, that that's kind of what I'm picking up from what you're saying, and that makes a yeah. lot of sense to me. Yeah. Let me add one. Let me add one more color to that paint by number, please. And that would be to also look for work when people are approaching you when they're lo looking for advisory support. If you're a subject matter expert in a certain area, but it's just a thing that you don't like doing, just because you're an expert on it, don't sign yourself up to do it. Because a lot of like advisory work, you know, it's it's not like it's like highly paid type work, right? Especially for early stage entrepreneurs. And we're gonna talk about that in a few yeah. minutes. Um, but, you know, in, in those situations, you're doing it because you're interested, you're doing it because you want to try it. You, you think maybe you could build up a large enough portfolio of these sorts of clients that in aggregate, it makes it worth it. Um, but, you know, one by one, it's not worth, life is just too short. It's like not worth like t picking up the work to do things that you're good at, but you you don't like doing. Hmm. So I would say pick those things that you really enjoy doing. Like I love product development stuff. I'm good at post-market, right? I'm good at post-market surveillance. I can help 
build all that out and think about how we're going to do field service and how we're going to do sales support and how, how what are the infrastructure and how does all that flow back into product development and into risk management. Um, but it doesn't mean I like doing the post-market stuff. That's good advice. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What's next? So, um, so we found, so we, we're, we're being very careful about who we're working with. We're to the point where we're ready to work uh, with a company, whether they've approached us. And that, that might be another question is, is how some of these, que- these conversations start. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, we'll, I'll, maybe I'll broaden the scope a little bit. How do these conversations start and how do you handle it moving forward? Whether it's through, you know, a contract or the money side. So I'll give you my personal experience and then how I help my teams that I support find other advisors. Okay. Okay. So my personal experience is I don't ever, I don't go looking. Um, so usually it's a board of directors. It's someone on um, their, one of their VCs, you know, where they're getting funding from. They'll say, Hey, you know, you're kind of getting to a point where you need to pull in product. You know, they're good in these particular areas. You guys are kind of weak in that one spot. Just talk to them. Um, so we don't necessarily go out and looking for it. And when I was first getting started and kind of went through my origin story of this crazy ride that I'm on right now and, and how I got here, um, in those situations also, I wasn't going and looking for them. Okay. So for me, my personal experience was not actively going out and finding it. It kind of found me. However, teams that I work with now, I do strongly advise and coach and mentor them to go out and find advisors. Hmm. Because it helps them bolster their deck and their bench, especially from like a diligence perspective, right? Um, and forget about like diligence. Like even think like you're trying to do like uh, you're going for government grants and it's just like three or four of you, right? They're going to want to see that you have advisors helping coach and, and mold you. So the team should recognize where they have gaps and say like, I'm really, really good at this clinical chemistry analyzing technology, or I'm really good at this material that I'm going to use to 3D print bone structures or whatever, but I'm not good at these things. You know, I don't know quality systems at all. So maybe they should go as an early stage company, maybe they should just go get like a, a quality advisor to help keep them. It's not going to be fully compliant that early, but at least help move them, nudge them slowly into the right directions. Um, so I tell them to go look. Okay. And, and to actively try to find people. One of the great, one great source for advisors and mentors, and it's kind of a safe spot where you can try it on, is through accelerator programs. Um, I'm a global mentor for Mass Challenge. Um, yeah. MassChallenge.org, it's a nonprofit accelerator program. I like it because they don't take any equity. Um, and what they do, they really exist to help these startups get started up. And... The mentor pool there is incredible. Like when you're inside, you can like scroll through the directory of who all's there. I'm like, I don't belong on this list. <laughs> like the the list is great. So those are great resources to go to and find mentors. And very often, the mentors that you have through those accelerator programs can become advisors for you okay. after the program's over. So that happens with me pretty regularly. Um, I think that's good advice. What are some other ones like Mass Challenge? I mean, that one, uh, that that's a great example. Any other thoughts as far as, um, as those other go? programs? Yeah. Um, there's a number of them. There's lots of smaller regional ones. So I would recommend that folks look for regional ones. Um, like, for example, Mass Challenge is big now. 
and they're all over the world. And I do mentoring through Mass Challenge Israel and Mass Challenge Taiwan and Switzerland and a whole bunch of places. But the Mass Challenge Boston cohorts, like the people that are here in Boston where I'm located, I feel like I'm able to add more value and I get more out of the relationship. Because again, it's about building relationship. Um, when I can kind of come in and kick the tires and see the product in the lab or get into the engineering lab and you know start taking measurements and kind of help them move things forward. Um, so so it, if, if, I, I would look regionally. And, and like Midwest has great accelerator programs. West Coast has great accelerator programs. So try to find ones that have like offices near you and you know work with those mentors. If you're doing it for free like that, is there still some sort of agreement that you would recommend putting in place uh, with those companies? Or I would imagine Mass Challenge has something um, that that yeah. That. So if if a team is working with an advisor or a mentor through a program like that, um, usually they're all the NDA stuff and everything contractually is covered through the accelerator program. Um, so let's take that off the table for a second. Sure. If it is just you and me. Um, and some people want us to kind of help them. In those cases, I strongly recommend no emerging advisory entrepreneur, no, no person starting to do this, do it without having a contract in place. Um, you might even want to go as so far as to consider professional liability insurance. It doesn't have to be very expensive. Um, but even if you don't get that, I mean, think about like, how much work you're doing for them and if you're just giving suggestions versus if you're actually building a little bit for them. You, you should think about the insurance side of things um, just to protect yourself. But you always want to have a contract in place and never sign advisory contracts that are open-ended term-wise. Mm. Always put in like a one-year term, a two-year term, six-month term, whatever the number is that you feel comfortable with. But you want to force the two of you in the relationship to stop, pause, re reevaluate the relationship and where you're going, and then, you know, sign up, you know, extend the contract by amendment if you want to. But it's good to do that regularly. And then in this kind of work, especially in startup world, our world changes so dynamically and so quickly, a lot happens. And you don't want to find yourself in a position where you have a whole bunch of open-ended contracts with no terms. And I see this happen. Um, and now seven, eight years down the line, you've forgotten all about them because they haven't contacted you, but you're still contractually bound. Oh, wow. So yeah. Always put a term and always make it like a reasonable number. Don't go out seven years, you know, make it a year, make it nine months, something like that. Yeah. So you should think about that. I've always heard agreements. Uh, well, someone told me somewhere in my in my career, agreements are really they should be called disagreements because that's the only time you read them. So that that makes sense. Let's revisit this. I like it. Yeah. What are what are some other uh, things? So we're thinking about the contract. That sort of starts me thinking down um, the two way street of whether it's compensation through equity or cash or nothing at all. I guess that would be in that contract. Um, how do you how do you come to an agreement on that or how do you how do you come to evaluation of your services for that that kind of thing um carefully <laughs> um <laughs> one one thing i've noticed and and when i first started getting into into the space too i remember someone pointed this out it's like when you're first starting you'll you'll consistently undervalue yourself right so when you're trying to figure out what should i charge like as an hourly rate or should i do value based billing or whatever um, 
you know, in, in the end, there's some number, financial number associated with things, and there's some number of hours that you're thinking that you would put toward a team. And then you're gonna, you're gonna divide one by the other, and you're gonna come up with some kind of hourly rate at some point. And uh, especially when you're first doing it, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, that number sounds great. When <laughs> in reality, like you, you can actually, you're adding much more value to a team than what that number represents. Um, that's just a kind of a normal growth I see what happened with, with lots of mentors and advisors. Um, but let's talk about compensation specifically. Let, like you want to dive into equity or cash first? Uh, let's talk equity. That, okay. that would be interesting. Okay. So startup comes to you, says, hey, we'd love to have you as an advisor. You do a little digging. You love the people. You love the team. You think it looks really great. And you say, okay, we're going to have to have a contract in place. Right? There needs to be an NDA, more than just an NDA, but there needs to be an NDA and there needs to be some kind of contract that spells out our relationship and your eventual disagreement, <laughs> which fortunately <laughs> never happens. I'm just turning your words back on you. Right. <laughs> um, so it's tricky with, with early stage startups, especially like, are they incorporated? Are they an LLC? Like, what is their organizational structure? Sometimes they might think I can, oh, yeah, yeah, we can give you equity. They might not have the legal entity in place that they can even build a cap table and put people on it and have the resources and the infrastructure to deliver you equity. And if they don't, that's a bit of a concern. Um, you can, if you want to, craft a contract that says, well, when you get to that point, then it triggers and once you're there and i've been earning like fake equity the whole time even though they don't have the infrastructure in place to be able to give you the equity um but you have to be as a as an, a, an advisor you have to be very careful looking at the team and saying are they in a position where they can even give equity at all have hmm. they gone through a, an evaluation process right because someone has to value that stock so that you have some idea of what your shares of equity would be. Um, so let's presume that they do have equity capabilities. So if they do, um, then you can choose to work if you want to. Um, I should preface what we're about to go through. Because I only work and my team works with emerging entrepreneurs and early stage companies, we have to demonstrate flexibility to be able to meet the teams where they're at. So kind of a lot of what we're gonna go through is like some of the levers that we have available to pull mm -hmm. when there's a team that's involved that they just don't have the cash to be able to pay, right? And there, we'll talk about cash in a minute and all cash is obviously one of the options, but it's, it's, it's advantageous for them to look at giving you equity. As an advisor, especially remember the difference between advisor and consultant in my mind is basically the, the depth of the relationship and the length of the relationship. As an advisor taking equity, it's a demonstration and a commitment to that team that I'm here in the, I'm here in the long haul because I want my equity to be worth something. Um, and that has panned out for me in, in this business. So my third, my third, the third exit that I had an opportunity to be a part of was a similar situation like that where, yeah, I did a cash equity blend and the equity turned into something when, when they sold. Um, so you have to be careful making sure that they have the infrastructure there. And if they do, then you can think about, do I want to do a cash equity blend or an all cash 
process. In either case, there's going to be a vesting schedule. And let's talk a little bit about that, the difference between a vesting schedule for employees and the vesting schedule for advisors. Okay. As an advisor, if you if you came to me and said, okay, well, we want to give you some, some we're going to pay you completely in, in equity. And maybe I say, fine, I'm okay with that. Um, and they say it's got a one-year cliff and a three-year vesting period. So if anyone listening doesn't know what, what we're talking about there, I mean, you're going to get some total amount of shares over the course of three years. That's your vesting period. But the cliff, in this case, we say one year, maybe it's nine months, maybe it's six months, means you don't earn any equity during that time frame. Um, and then you kind of back earn all the stuff you would have earned after you hit the cliff. And then you start con- earning equity like at a monthly or a quarterly rate thereafter. Makes sense. That's normal for employees. And it's it's an important employee retention tool, especially for startups, right? Because you're kind of pulled in to say, well, hey, I just got a grant, but it's going to, it invests over the course of three years and it's a big grant. I'm going to stay here. I want this. I think this is going somewhere. I'm not going to go anywhere. It's a little different for advisors, right? So if, if our relationship is maybe a year long, and then it goes really, really light touch after that. It doesn't make sense to have a one-year cliff and a three-year vesting period, right? So I, I suggest in those situations, if equity is what's on the table, the advisor pushes hard to say, I'll just start immediately earning. So a zero-month cliff um, and just start immediately or, or make it some reasonable number like, fine, you can try me out for you know, a month and if after that, then we're going to start earning equity if, if we continue to stay into the stay in the relationship. Um, and then make it vest over the period of the term of your contract. So if your contract is an 18-month contract, and that's when your term expires, then you should build your equity around equal vesting over those 18 months, is my recommendation. Makes sense. And my practice. Um, yeah, what other questions do you have about equity that you think that we should dive into? Yeah, well, okay, so I'm I'm still thinking a, a little bit about the valuation itself of the mm-hmm. services of the advisor. Now, mm-hmm. one thing we didn't really touch on is uh, the, the amount of advisors a company may have. And so, of mm-hmm. course, it's going to be you just depending on what they're good at, what the company needs to, to shore up their gaps. But mm-hmm. each one of those advisors may have a different level of equity based on the, uh, I guess, direct impact of their skill set on the revenue. But how do you how do you make that determination? Well, I mean, the company makes that determination, yeah. right? Um, so if they're mature enough that they have a cap table and they have equity and they have you know some number of shares outstanding, they will have gone through a process where they have allocated this much of it we're going to keep for ourselves and for our employees. This much of it we're going to use for our board of directors and for potentially advisory board members, which is a little different than just being an advisor. Um, we can explore the difference between the two if you'd like to. Um, you know, but they're going to they're going to often pay like advisory board members with equity. If it's a company that needs to have um, like a medical advisory board associated with their product. Those, okay. those folks are going to be expected to be paid with equity too. Champion, so my point yeah. is the startup is going to have a smaller slice that they can have as discretionary equity to be sure. able to, to, dole, to dole out. So company to company, you might get different percentages. You might get 
they might have bigger pieces of pie, smaller pieces of pie, it's really going to vary. And if, like you said, if they have 15 advisors, which would be a lot of advisors, that's a ridiculous number that I just threw out. But if they had 15 versus if they, if they had two, right? Um, if everyone had the same sh size pie share to give out, now you have to share it with more people. So it's going to vary. And it kind of goes back to what you're saying earlier, the advice you were giving is to talk mm -hmm. to other advisors. I would assume that would be how you determine is 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 a 0.01% or a 10%, you know, what's, what's, that's a massive spread. I get that, but yeah. Um, yeah. just how you're going to determine uh, what is worth it. If you were giving advice to an advisor, oh, I wouldn't do it for that much or versus yeah. the other. Here's so. the, here's the, the thing with equity and, and we're going to pivot into cash. Here's yeah. the thing with equity and with deferred cash payments. And we'll talk about that in a second. In all of those cases, as an advisor, you are taking on risk, right? And so yeah. when, I'm, when you're thinking about how do you value yourself and like what percent are you taking, and I would almost say don't worry, even worry about what percent of the company. You're just, yeah. don't worry about that. Think of like, okay, what is the valuation of the shares? What kind of work would you be, would you be doing? What would that be worth paying someone and how much of that would you take as, as shares? And it's going to be whatever percent of the company it's going to be. If they decide they have 1 million shares or if they decide they have 100 million shares, yeah, it's going to be different. Makes so, sense. But in all of those cases, it's you taking on risk. And my recommendation to people just starting off in this space is to ignore all of it. You cannot count on any of the equity. You cannot count on the deferred, and we're going to talk about them, but deferred payments coming through. So... It's also a matter of your risk tolerance, right? If, if you are, you know, supporting your entire family um, and you're thinking, oh, well, wait a second, when this happens and when this happens and when this happens, we're going to be able to do these things. You should, my advice to folks in this space is don't think like that at all. This yeah. is all gravy. Yeah. You f compensate yourself with what you need for now. And then you don't need to be greedy. You don't need to be a jerk about it. You don't need to have a high, you know, massive ego and a giant inflated head about everything. Take something that's reasonable for you to be able to keep hold. If you don't feel like you're being taken advantage of, um, whatever you can do kind of upfront to, to do that for like a cash equity blend or just a cash and deferred cash blend, something like that. But take what you need to take care of you in the moment and feel good about what you're doing. And the rest of it, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And the chances of it happening are low. Yeah. So there's a couple of things you you mentioned that I wanted to talk about. Advisory board member versus advisor. I wanted to mm -hmm. see if you give a quick overview of that okay. real quick. Sure. So a team, and I generally counsel startups to build both. Okay. Um, maybe you start off with a bunch of advisors and they're individual contributors, but the difference between like an advisory board and an individual advisor is if you, if you stack your board with a couple different really experienced advisors in your particular space, and they're not all cookie cutters of each other, right? You've got someone with some commercial experience and someone with product development experience and someone with risk management and whatever, you know, all these different, these different functions that you kind of need really seasoned pros to help guide you with. You put them on a board and you get them to meet once a month, once a quarter, 
once a quarter is probably more reasonable. Don't do it once a year. It's not meaningful enough. The conversations that you get when you bring your advisors together and you've built a board and we're experienced in our space, we kind of start riffing off of each other. And we say, oh, yeah, 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 you're right, Etty. Remember that one thing that happened back in, you know, in, in the early 90s when this company did that and they got themselves in trouble? And then we start talking and we start talking. And then collectively, we're bringing advice and bringing our scars and our stories to bear to be able to help the startup. And that is very valuable versus just talking to you know, Nancy in a vacuum and then talking to Rodrigo in a vacuum and yeah. then you know, talking to all these different people. You're still going to get good advice from them, but maybe not as good of advice as you would get if you had kind of a board. That makes sense. Right. Okay. So if you brought an advisor on for a very specific subject matter ex expertise, like let's say you had some really sophisticated optics in your in your system, and you want to bring on a really seasoned optics pro, that's great. That probably isn't someone you need to have on your advisory board, right? Because it's very sure. very niche that you've brought them on. So for them, you use them as an advisor. But if they're a bit more broad and they've seen a lot more things and they brought a lot more medical devices to 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 bear, then a good suggestion is to build a small board. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so we're going to get into deferred cash payments, but before we do, I know we're coming to, to the top of the hour. Do you have a hard stop? Yeah. We can always do a, a second. I don't. Okay. I don't. All right. Okay. Let's, if, if you're good with it, then uh, yeah, let's get into cash then. Okay. Um, so a couple of different options on cash. There's the kiss option, which you can define however you want, but I like to use it as keep it simple, stupid. Yep. Um, and that could just be where you just say, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna re I'm gonna come up with an hourly rate that they can afford, and I'm just gonna get paid that, and I'm fine, right? Again, you don't feel like you're being taken advantage of, and it's where the company can meet you. If they come back and they say, well, we can pay you, you know, minimum wage, like, mm, I'm bringing a bit more value to the situation than minimum wage, right? There needs to be some equity or something else involved. <laughs> um, or you just do it pro bono in that case. And we haven't even talked about pro bono work yet. Um, so you could just make it really simple for everyone. And there's no cliffs and there's no deferring, there's no nothing, just make it real simple. Um, and that works, that works great. That works well for the advisor. It works well for the company. It's a very simple arrangement. They pay you once a month maybe, um, and you're done. And that's, that's kind of the easiest approach. Um, but it's not always that easy, especially in startup world, and especially if it's a more seasoned advisor you're trying to bring on, or you're a more seasoned potential advisor and you just haven't done it yet. Um, you know, you do have some higher valuation there. So you can do a couple creative things. You can look at deferred payment. And so what we've done in the past is say, okay, we're gonna help you for this limited amount of time we're gonna, and, and for this limited amount of effort that we will do, we'll help you. And we're gonna help you get to this A. You know, once you get an A round landed though, you need to back pay us. We'll keep track of the hours. It's upfront, everyone understands it. And so, and then you can get paid. So that's like a full deferred payment. I'm not making any money right now. That's fully at my risk. And it's, it's at your benefit as the startup. And you close your A, you just raised 7 million, whatever. 
on the, the diligence work that's going to happen. People are going to look at what are your outstanding debts. And one of them would be, you know, we owe this much to one of our advisors or two or three of our advisors who have been gracious enough to do the work um, with fully deferring their payment. Makes sense. Okay? So that's an option. Um, another one is to do, um, you can also think about that as, as an accrual. So like, it's just like you're keeping track of hours or you could just say a lump sum and you could say, okay, I'm going to help you for the next six months, or I'm going to help you till you get to this value inflection point. And once you can afford me, then you pay me, but not to be greedy and not take it earlier than that. But once we get to that point, maybe it's a milestone, maybe it's whatever, you know, you know, I'm going to do it for X number of thousands of dollars. And so it's just, it's just a clear, it's a known, consistent, hard number, which startups actually really like because I don't know how many hours we're going to need of you or whatever. So you can just say, I'll just do lump sum, right? It's kind of like a fixed fee kind of schedule type thing. Yeah. Um, you can also do just like a cash equity blend. You can also do a partial defer payment, right? So let's just make really easy math. Uh, let's say it's uh, you're getting paid $10 an hour. You could say, fine, I'm going to defer seven and you pay me three, right? And maybe you're comfortable with getting paid $3 an hour. But we, we're using those numbers to make the math add up really easily here. Right. Um, scale it however you want to. So you can do that. You can say, oh, I'm going to keep track of it. And, you know, once you get to that trigger, then you, you, pay, you back pay what you have. And then we know what the rate is going forward. It's just full rate. Makes that's sense. a fair, equitable way to work with an early stage startup. Um, and then another approach, take a, another creative way to look at it is um, Atlassian is, uh, makes a product that a lot of startups use. Um, the, a lot of people use Jura mm -hmm. and Atlassian's the, the folks that make Jura. And their business model for Jura and for Confluence and things like that is, you know, it's very inexpensive for small numbers of people. But as your numbers of people using their tool goes up, your price per person goes up. And I like it because it makes it really inexpensive for the startup to be able to use a tool like that. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of load sharing. Like if, if you're able to be successful that you now have 100 people, right? You have grown the company. You're presumably making enough money or you've raised enough money that you should now be able to pay Atlassian you know, what their software is worth. But at the, at the beginning, you're paying like a, you know, whatever it is, it's very small number of dollars um, right. per head, per seat for a while. Um, so that's like a sliding scale. So you could do the same thing too, right? As an advisor, you could say, well, let's, let's put the sliding scale in place and you pay me this now. And then as the company gets to this level, like, okay, then my rate will be this. And as the company gets to love this level, my rate would be that. So it's kind of like, there's no like deferred payment. You're just meeting them where they're at, but changing constantly. Yeah. So another creative lever that you can pull. Okay. Um, the question that I'm sure you're asking yourself with all of those situations is like, what are those downstream triggers? Like, how do you define that? And it's, it's not too hard. I mean, you, you have to think about it's, it can't be a value inflection point because you can have companies with huge value, but no cash still, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of software situations that happen, right? These insane valuations, but you know, they have very little cash so far because uh, they have no revenue yet. So you really tie it to either when a grant arrives, 
And that's another clever way you can do it. You can write yourself into the grant. Okay. So if the grant gets funded, then you get involved and you get involved at this rate and you help them write the grant and I'll help like write the grants for free. You know, just kind of like a little bit of um, supporting the team, kind of good for them. And if they make it, then it happens. And, you know, grants is a whole different world. But in both those situations is the company had a cash influx to a point where they can now afford to pay you some. And you and the company in the relationship talk it out and figure out where that value and where that point is where they say, okay, if we make, if we have this much coming in, we raise 6 million, will that be enough to be able to pay? Or should we keep driving and pumping money into the product and into the infrastructure? Maybe you say, okay, fine. Maybe when you hit your B or something like that, a lot of levers, a lot of flexibility. Okay. So I appreciate you going through those different levers and, and, and how to use equity versus cash. Let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the pro no, pro bono. Um, I think you know just a, a, a maybe an attitude of altruism makes sense that maybe that's what would be your motivation. But I imagine there's lots of other uh, benefits to doing things pro bono. Can you speak to any of that, or what are your thoughts? Feels great. Yeah, I do a ton of I do a ton of. Well, remember before I started the company, like my first like year was all pro bono. Yeah, right. And, you know, I was really happy, and I still am very happy. Um, and I was having an amazing amount of fun. So there's, there's, you got to do stuff and you take the money problem off the table, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we, <laughs> it's very much like a mo money, mo problems kind of situation. Yeah. And, yeah. And if, if you don't have to deal with it, great. But I'd be careful that you don't give too much of yourself in a pro bono situation and you don't give too much of yourself for too long. Because if all you do, and, and I don't mean like meeting someone for coffee, you know, once a quarter and catching up and hearing how their product is coming and answering some of their questions about, because I do a lot of this, like, you know, how's the organizational growth going? How's your product development plans maturing long? What kind of problems have you had? Those, fine. Don't worry about that. That's you have over coffee, over lunch, you have a nice dinner with your friends, and you're just kind of talking. But if you're actively going in regularly and talking to the team and giving advice and kind of exploring it, um, if you want to do that pro bono, sure. But just be careful you don't do way too much of it. Um, And you also don't want to be taken advantage of in that pro bono space for too long. So even in pro bono, I still say you need a contract. And that contract Mm. still needs a term. Okay. Right. If it's just casual advice. lunches, don't worry about it. Maybe yeah. an NDA. You, you should have an NDA, but casual lunches and, and, and meetings with friends, don't worry about that one. But if you're actively going through, if they're putting you on their deck as an advisor, right? They're representing you on their website as an advisor. Even if you're doing it pro bono, definitely have a contract in place. Okay. No, I think that's good advice. Um, one other thing I wanted to think about, maybe the softer side of this, because we've kind of mm-hmm. d- dwelled a lot on the um, the brass tacks of equity and, and so forth, which makes sense. Yeah. What about the actual conversations that you have? I'm curious um, because it when you when you describe the consultant versus uh, advisor, what about um, is it is it something of a mentor? You've kind of used that terminology a little bit. Um, I use what it a lot? Yeah. It, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, if they use the if if that's the relationship, what if they don't take your advice, or what if you butt heads? Uh, yeah, even if you love each other, you know, sometimes you butt heads. What mm-hmm. what are 
how, what do those conversations look like? What's a good relationship look like? Okay, good. So let's, um, hopefully you will have ferreted some of that out during your pseudo diligence process at the beginning when you are trying to come to an, an understanding of, is this a team you want to be associated with? Are these people you want to work with? Okay. So one of the things that you look at, going back to that earlier part of the conversation, is kind of their spirit, right? Are these, these folks are coming to you because they don't know something and you know something. They're not experienced with something you're experienced there and they want to benefit from it. And hopefully we all can mutually benefit from it. But if they're not coachable, hmm. if they demonstrate an unwillingness to, or a propensity to not listen, and I don't mean they need to do what I suggest. I mean, I make recommendations, they make decisions. But they should at least consider it so that when you find yourself in a situation that they're going down a particular path, you're not there every single day. A lot of times the decision is made and then they come back and say, well, what do you think about this path? And like, if you say, guys, I think it's dangerous, right? I don't, I don't, I don't think we want to go, I don't think we want to go this way. And they're like, well, this is, you know, we made our decision, right? Or whatever. If, if they're unwilling to listen, not a situation you want to get into right off the start. Um, if the culture is one that embraces growth and embraces healthy confrontation, and, and I don't mean that in a mean way, um, but to be able to have a conversation and disagree with each other and talk it out, you know, that's healthy. Yeah. And if we find ourselves in situations where you're, you're not picking that up early, I would say don't go. So let's say that you're in it. That's kind of what the character of the, of the conversation should be. Let's, let's take the Rubik's Cube back up and flip it around a little bit and like, let's look at it now from the startup's perspective. The startup talking to a, an advisor, talking to a mentor, advisor, whatever you want to call it, you don't want a yes person. You don't want to go find yourself an advisor that just comes in and says, oh, I love what you're doing. This is great. It's just a pump hype crew. You don't want that. You want someone who has enough comfort with you to say, that's baloney, right? Like, like your plan is garbage. And I don't mean it that crudely, right? But to be able to have the conversation and say, well, let's look at alternative options. Because if we go down this route, this and this and this might happen. And if can we have that healthy, constructive conversation? Um, you want someone who pushes you and stretches you. It's not comfortable, right? To have a mentor, and I've had great mentors in my life who really put me in uncomfortable situations because they had confidence in me, in me and they knew that I would be able to like learn some from something and grow from it. But it's not, you know, it's not always the easiest thing. You want people that will push you into not easy positions if there's a heavy mentoring side to your, to the relationship. Um, so I think like on that side of the on that side of the of the situation, definitely like you want to find as an as a mentor as an advisor, you want to find places where I can speak my mind and you'll listen. You don't have to do it, but you'll at least consider it and then make a decision. And it's not in a, it's not an adversarial type situation. On the other side, we, as a startup, you want a person to come in and challenge your thinking and yeah. help you think about different ways. That makes sense. And since we've already 
open the Rubik's cube or turned it around on that. No, we don't, we don't open it. That's cheating. That's when you break it open and you move all the blocks to the different corners. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta learn how to just do it. <laughs> Since we've already done that, whatever that accurate, well, whatever the word is, um, what are some red flags that if I was a startup and I'm looking for an advisor, uh, what are some things that should immediately say, okay, I'm moving on to the next one. What, obviously you sure. get one already. Sure. So what's their motivation? Right. So That's you're good. looking, you're looking at an advisor and you're in, you're, the two of you are engaged in some relationship, in some conversation. Um, you know, in this, I, I guess in this situation, it would be like maybe the board is telling them you need to work with this person. Right. Mm. Um, if you're going out and finding them, you should still understand if, if they're interested, what is their motivation? Why are they interested in doing this work with you? Especially if they've not done any advisory work in the past. Yeah. Um, is it for egotistical purposes? Is it for whatever? I mean, there there are there are strong benefits to an early advisor to having some advisory gigs, right? A little bit of advisory work begets a bit more advisory work. As long as you do a good job and you're and you're kind and you're good-hearted about it and you and you add value, you can't just be nice and not make a difference. Um, but if you are kind and you make an impact, then it's going to create more opportunities to do that kind of work. Um, but if the advisor is, if, if the person you're talking to, if their motivation is purely to bolster their resume, um, if it's to, oh, here's a dangerous one. If they got caught up in any of the many, um, downsizing events that happen in our, in our industry, and a lot has happened yeah. in the last couple of years. If they're if they're just looking for this as a stopgap, and just to kind of you know fill the the gap and and show something on their resume that says, oh yeah, I, you know I wasn't like not doing anything for a while. I was doing some advisory work. I'd be careful there too, because um, what's their motivation there, and, and what is their long term commitment to the relationship that you're trying to build? They go and they get you know, a job somewhere, are they going to drop you right away? And now you're kind of out an advisor. So understanding kind of why are they interested in getting into this situation with you, I think is really a valuable exercise to explore. Yeah. And I've heard you say to, uh, so I, I think that's great. I really appreciate you saying that and giving this, the specific examples is really helpful. Um, you mentioned earlier, if it's just to stack the deck from uh, the advisor's perspective, you may not want to work with that company if they only want you to stack the deck. From a startup perspective, I imagine that probably the same advice would assume um, to reevaluate your own thinking. Why am I approaching this person? Can you speak a little bit to that? Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the danger of stacking the deck. Yeah. If and so now we're speaking to you, startups. If you're trying to stack your deck for the sake of stacking your deck because you feel like it's going to demonstrate to um, to teams that you've got all of these advisors and all these folks that are helping you. Um, when it comes down to sophisticated diligence work, the kind of stuff that I have the lovely benefit or I have the lovely opportunity to be able to do with um, some big VCs, you know, we'll sniff that out real fast. We'll know that smoke and mirrors. Right. Every advisor you put on your deck is a liability. I I might call them. I might cold contact them and say, hey, so you're associated with uh, 
uh, Nichols Medical Devices. Tell me about um, your relationship with them. And they're like, oh, well, I mentored them once in Match Challenge like three years ago. They still have me on their deck, <laughs> right? So that yeah. kind of stuff, um, you know, we'll find real quick. And what kind of impression do you think that leaves us doing the diligence when you as a startup play games like that? We're not going to trust you. And if we're not going to trust you in one thing, we're not going to trust your data. We're not going to trust a whole bunch of other things. So it's important, like, not just stack the deck for the sake of stacking, stacking the deck. Your advisory team should be people that you do lean on regularly. You do engage with them. If you have an advisory board, they can say, oh, yeah, we meet once a quarter. We meet every two months. Um, we, uh, we sit in on as board observers for board meetings. Advisory boards don't get to make the same fiscal decisions that a board of director makes. They really just kind of give business consulting type sure. um, feedback. Um, so we'll follow up on that. So I, I would definitely not stack the deck for yeah. the sake of stacking deck or trying to make your team look bigger or better than it is. Because um, we'll we'll figure that out real fast. I know we're about out of time. I have one last question, if you still have a minute. Um, and that is, how to have a clean breakup. Mm. I mean, I, I imagine a, a, an exit would make sense or uh, at the end of your contract, but still, I would think you would want to have a clean breakup. It goes back to one of the things that we started with, which is that contract, right? You, you will break up at some point and the contract before you're in, and, and I say breakup and doesn't mean a bad context, right? right? It could just be like, you know, they've moved on. They don't need you anymore. Great, that's lovely for them. Yeah. Or, or you're too busy doing other things now and, and you need to be able to step away from them. At the very, very beginning, we should come to an agreement to say, what's that going to look like? How's that going to happen? Right? If, if there's out, and especially when you have situations where there's outstanding cash payments or outstanding equity, right? You have to think about what those mm -hmm. situations would be to look like. So let's presume that you have contracts in place and you've thought about that up front while you're still both level-headed and thinking about it and you're saying yeah this is fair for you and fair for us we get it, it makes sense um a lot of this is built on trust right you have to trust that i'm going to walk you through hard things and you know give you the feedback that you need at certain times and and that i have some experience to be able to help you understand what things are going to look like I have to trust that you're going to consider it and, and adapt that into your thinking and look at the whole picture and decide what you want to do. Um, when it comes time to, to like move away from each other, and that happens all the time, right? It could absolutely be an equity event. That's an easy one. So I don't even think we even need to talk about that. Like, yay, exit happened. Everyone, you know, is now enjoying their time, whatever they're doing post-exit. Um, but if it's not like an exit situation, it's like you're too busy for them, they're too busy for you, or you've come to realize like maybe the leadership team has changed and maybe now you were enamored with the people that were there to begin with, but the leadership team, is, team has changed and they're now not as affinity matched to you, right? Mm -hmm. And to say, well, wait a second, I don't, I'm not having fun anymore. <laughs> like these, I don't like these folks, right? It happens. So I, I think as long as you you trust that you can have that open conversation with the team and say, hey, you know, guys, I need to do it. 
I think it's also important, and, and I'll do this in my contracts, to not have any harsh movements fast, right? So, you know, I'll put 45-day windows on things to say like, look, if I need to step away, I'm going to give you a month and a half heads up. I'm going to help you find my replacement because that's the right thing to do. Yeah. Right? It's about being kind and, be, and being clear up front. But it's the right thing to do to not just say, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm out of here. And you give one week notice. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's just my style. I'm sure other people have different opinions on it. Maybe say, no, you need to have really hard breaks. Um, but I tend to think that, and I, I make it bi-directional in my agreements as well with people to say like, if you need to make a change, fine. You can't go from 100 miles an hour to zero, right? Um, in some cases, they run out of money and you have no choice. You have to. Um, but in other cases, if they need to go a different direction, fine. There's like a little bit of a ramp down so you can start to like find other work in other places if that's all you do. If this is you just dipping your toe in the pool or you're moonlighting and it's just kind of like side gig stuff for fun, maybe you don't care. Maybe in a situation like that, you say, okay, that's fine. If it disappears, it disappears. Um, and, and you don't put as big of a window on it. But yeah. talking, being kind and honest with each other, it's good with everything you do in life, not just in right. I, I love that you mentioned the word relationship so many times because I mean, it just if if it's if truly is a relationship and it should be, like you said, communication should only improve it, not not hinder it. So more mm -hmm. communication mm -hmm. is better. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you for taking and going over time, especially. Um, I'll let you get back to it. Thank you so much, Devin. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. All right, take care. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, can I ask a special favor from you? Can you leave us a review on iTunes? I know most of us have never done that before, but if you're listening on the phone, look at the iTunes app, scroll down to the bottom where it says leave a review. It's actually really easy. Same thing with the computer. Just look for that leave a review button. This helps us uh, this helps others find us and it lets us know how we're doing. Also, I'd personally love to hear from you on LinkedIn. Reach out to me. I, I read and respond to every message because hearing your feedback is the only way I'm going to get better. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.